Okay, well, good morning again. Um, I'm glad to be back with you today. I'm thankful to Cade Cox, our youth minister, for preaching last Sunday, and we've been gone since uh, December 23rd. We're excited to be back here with you. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, or at least it does for us, because we missed you, and we love and appreciate this church, and we're glad to be a part of it. As Rick mentioned this morning, uh, this is the first Sunday of the year 2019. So let me ask you this question. How many of you had a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Okay. How many of you how many of you just didn't raise your hand? Man, there's like two of you. I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that. Okay, well, I thought more of you would have a New Year's resolution. Uh, most preachers on the first Sunday of a new year, that's the time to maybe either mention New Year's resolutions or do a sermon about it. But I felt weird doing a sermon about New Year's resolutions when we're already six days uh, into the new year. So if you had a resolution, you might have broken it by now anyways. And if you had a resolution and you haven't broken it, great job. Most people who have New Year's resolutions, uh, they want to start something new. Join a gym, start exercising. Or maybe in our spiritual lives, if you have some sort of resolution, you want to start reading the Bible every day or praying more often. Or maybe you want to start spending more time with your family and you're going to commit to doing that. Or maybe it's just something simple, like some of you are just like, I just want to remember to brush my teeth every day. I don't know what a New Year's resolution would look like for you, but usually it's starting something. And not quite as often do we think about stopping something or quitting something. Uh, A little over, well, about two weeks ago when we got to my in-law's house, one of the things that I like to do there is they have a great scale, so I like to weigh myself. And I weighed myself before Christmas. And I just looked at the number, and I was like, uh-oh, like that's, that's not good. That doesn't look good. And I will confess to you, uh, I have some pretty bad eating habits. So I talked with a good friend who's really into diet and nutrition, and he recommended something to me that for you may not sound like much, but his recommendation was stop eating after 8 p.m. Now, for some of you, you're like, I do that every night, but for me, that's hard work. Uh, I have little kids. We eat dinner at about 5 or 5.30, so really that's just an appetizer for me. That's when I'm getting started, and I just keep eating and snacking throughout the night, and it's become a really bad habit for me, and obviously it led to some problems when I stood on the scale. So starting Christmas night, I cut myself off at 8 p.m., and again, that may sound easy to you, but most nights after Christmas, I've gone to bed hungry. And I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me. I'm trying to get you to be embarrassed for me on how hard uh, that has been for me. But cutting myself off at 8 p.m. has been a great discipline. Uh, But it's not just because of what I saw on the scale. Part of the reason why I wanted to do this is because we're doing this series. If you hit that, there we go, on the book of Daniel. Uh, So if you want to turn your Bible somewhere, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be studying Daniel and as a staff Uh, We've studied through the book of Daniel. I've known this sermon series was coming for over a month, so I've been studying Daniel. When you think about the book of Daniel, if you have some sort of background on the Bible, what do you think of? You probably think of Daniel and the lion's den from Daniel chapter 6, or maybe you think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel chapter 3 when they refuse to bow down to the idol and they're thrown in the fiery furnace. Or maybe you think of the writing on the wall in Daniel chapter 5. There's a lot of great stories 
from the book of Daniel that we're going to explore at least in the first six chapters for the month of January. But what I really admire about Daniel and his friends is that they refused to bow down to idols. They refused to bow to false gods. God has given us a lot of gifts and a lot of pleasures, things like food that people like myself have abused. And I would admit, I think food has probably become a false idol, a false god in my own life. And so when I read the stories of Daniel, I'm inspired to try to take control of my life for the kingdom of God right? and try to make an impact and not be so self-centered. So I want to start in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to mainly be in Daniel 1 this morning. We're going to read through. I always think you're going to get out of this what you put into it. So if you're ready to follow along, let's let the Word of God speak, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This name Nebuchadnezzar is really important to understanding the story, one of the most powerful men in the world. And He comes into Jerusalem and he takes over. This is a very dark time for the people in Jerusalem. Verse 2, the NRSV says, The Lord let, I just want to highlight that, The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The most powerful man in the world with the most powerful army at the time comes in and they take over. King Jehoiakim becomes King Nebuchadnezzar's puppet king. And they're taking things from the temple, but they're also going to take captives. They're going to take prisoners and they're going to take certain people back with them to Babylon. Verse 3, the king commanded his palace master Ashpenaz, that's how I pronounce it, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of nobility, and we Heard this this morning in the communion thoughts. Young men without physical defect, handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and the language of the Babylonians. If you look at verse 4, the type of captives that the Babylonians were looking for and what they valued is very similar to what we value in our culture today. You can look on social media, you can flip through the TV, and you get a pretty good glimpse of the types of things that we obsess over, and a lot of that is the physical. The physical body, you know, they're looking for people without any sort of defect. They're looking for young men who are handsome, and they're smart, and they're wise, and that's what they're looking for to bring with them back to Babylon. Very similar to what we value. And when they get back to Babylon, they're going to be taught the language and the literature of the Babylonians. They're going to be taken as prisoners, as captives, basically. Uh, They're going to be taken back to uh, Babylon or to a new land for them. They're going to be taught a new language and a new education. They're going to learn all about the religion of the Babylonians. They're going to learn their type of education, maybe even their magic and dark arts. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine, so they're going to get to eat pretty well. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they could be stationed in the king's court. That's the plan. Train them for three years, indoctrinate them on how to become Babylonians, and then after three years, they're going to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. And verse 6, among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, from the tribe of Judah. 
Now those names, at least one of those names, probably sounds familiar to you because the book is named after him, and that's Daniel. But the names Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, those names aren't quite as familiar to us because we know them usually by their Babylonian names, which we see in verse 7. The palace master gave them other names. He renames them. He takes them their Hebrew name and he gives them a Babylonian name. And Daniel is called Belteshazzar. So Daniel's name in Hebrew means God is judge. His new Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, means Marduk protect his life. Marduk was one of the main Babylonian gods. And so they take their names that have something to do with Yahweh and they give them a new name representing a different God. Hananiah is called Shadrach. Hananiah's name means the Lord shows grace. Shadrach means the command of Aku, who was the Sumerian moon god. Mishael is given a new name, and his name is Meshach. Mishael means who is what God is. Meshach means who is what Aku is. And then Azariah is given this name, Abednego. His name meant the Lord helps. And his new name in Babylon means the servant of Nabu, which is another one of their gods. So they're taken captives to a new place. They're taught a new language. Uh, They're surrounded by a culture that worships different gods, and their new names represent these different gods. So they're having to put up with a lot. That's a lot of trials to go through. But then you get to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And to me, this is one of the key verses of the entire book of Daniel. And it's also where the story takes a turn. In verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. It's a key verse because I think that part of what's happening here is Daniel and his friends are facing a small private test that's going to prepare them for a much more public test in the future when we see the fiery furnace, and the lion's den. Well, they're faithful in these small ways, right? Uh, Daniel resolved not to defile himself in this way. This word resolve is a great word. In English, you see it on the PowerPoint. The verb means to decide firmly on a course of action, the noun, uh, firm determination to do something. So Daniel resolved. He has this firm determination not to defile himself. He's in this Babylonian culture, he's surrounded by it, but he has this internal resolve about him that he's going to push back. He's not going to let the culture influence him all the way. They're going to put up with a lot. So my question is, why does he draw the line here? After all they put up with, the changing of their names, the new language, the new education, the new home, he draws the line here. Why does Daniel put his foot down here and And why does he say, I'm not going to eat your food? I'll put up with everything else, but not the food. Because for a Hebrew male in that culture, or a Jewish person in general, keeping the dietary laws found in the Old Testament was crucial to them because it separated them from their pagan neighbors. It gave them their identity. So while in exile, Daniel felt it was incredibly important to remain faithful to God and to not lose that identity that they have. That's why Daniel decides to draw the line there. And I think there's a few lessons we can learn just from this verse right here. Uh, One of those is to ask for wisdom to know when to draw the line and when not to draw the line. 
He puts up with a lot, but he puts his foot down at a certain point. We're surrounded by a culture where we kind of have to swim upstream, and a lot of what Jesus teaches is countercultural. So in our own culture, with the own, our own struggles that we face, how do we know where we should draw the line and where we should go along to get along? Well, we can ask God for the wisdom to know that. And in verse, chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel asked for permission not to defile himself this way. So another lesson we can learn is to hold your convictions in love. He doesn't go on Facebook and go on a rant. He doesn't start a protest or a riot. He just is respectful. He has his convictions, and he asks for permission. Right? He doesn't try to physically fight or anything like that. Like That's the plan. He holds his convictions in love, and I think we can learn something from Daniel in this. In, uh, flip that next slide, back one. Okay, we're having trouble with the clicker today, so I'm a little off on that. But look at verse 9. Now, God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. So, I believe God is blessing Daniel's faithfulness. In verse 10, the palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see that you're in a poor condition, the other young men of your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. So he's thinking, I, I have to let you eat this food and drink this wine because if not, I'm going to get in trouble. But Daniel comes up with a plan. In verse 11, Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the other young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and he tested them for 10 days. That's what I want to focus on for the next few minutes is just this 10-day challenge that Daniel proposes. I'm drawn to this. He comes up with a plan, 10 days, vegetables and water only, which does not sound exciting to me, but for 10 days, give us that opportunity and then observe what you see. Have you ever tried to quit something for 10 days? You know, maybe you, in your own life, you have some sort of bad habit or sinful behavior that maybe was subtle at first and now it's become commonplace in your life. And if you ever try to cut back or to quit, it's difficult. I've already mentioned the difficulties that I've had cutting back with food. About 2012, uh, I had this heart arrhythmia deal where my heart skips beats and then it flutters and it, it kind of comes and goes and it really flared up in 2012. I could hear my, my heart, I could feel it beating in my throat and then it would stop and it's just kind of this weird ordeal, but it's scary when it's dealing with your heart. So I went to the doctor and they did all these tests and they couldn't really find anything. And the doctor said, do you drink caffeine? And I said, Yes, I drink quite a bit of caffeine. He said, there's your problem. Try that first. Cut out caffeine. And this is, I put that picture of coffee right there to make you want some coffee so you'll stick around for Bible communities this morning. But I love coffee. I know not everybody does. Some people hate the taste. But I love coffee, and I got to the point where I was drinking a lot of it. So he said, cut it out. So I went home, and I was so afraid for what was going on in my heart, I quit cold turkey. If you've ever tried to do that, that's difficult. I had headaches, I was sluggish, I felt like a zombie for three or four days, but I pushed through. And then after about 10 days, 
I was free. I was caffeine free. And I went back to the doctor. And the only problem is I was still having the heart flutter. So he said, well, I guess it's not caffeine then. (laughs) So guess what I did when I got home? I made a cup of coffee, and I've been drinking coffee ever since. But kind of like the food example, what I realized through all that is I had let something, you know, kind of a pleasure, a gift that God gives us, and I was abusing it and overusing it and indulging myself. And and once you do that, you can't ever be satisfied by it again. You're constantly chasing maybe that first experience that you have, but it's so difficult to quit and to cut back, but it helps me realize that these things can easily, these pleasures in life that God gives us, these can easily become idols or false gods in our life. So if you had to quit something for 10 days, what would you quit? You know, maybe it's binging on Netflix, or maybe you have this social media compulsion, and, or maybe it's like caffeine, or maybe it's food, or maybe you're drinking too much, maybe it's a drug. I don't know what it would be, but you could do some introspection. You could think within yourself, because I've had a lot of time to think about this. I've known this sermon was coming. What are some bad habits, some sinful behaviors that you might need to leave behind? What would that be for you? For Daniel and his friends... It was keeping their identity as Jewish men and not eating the same type of meat that might have been sacrificed to idols and it wasn't prepared the right way, so they wanted to keep their identity. And maybe it wasn't hard for them because that's the type of diet they were used to. Or maybe it was challenging. After a few days, after a week, when they looked around and they saw all the other men indulging themselves and enjoying the food at the king's table. So they proposed this plan. And look at verse 15. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter. Well, that's what my version says. I think NIV gets it uh, better for our modern-day English. It's better and healthier than all the other young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw the royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. So their little 10-day plan worked. It was successful. They out-Babylonian the Babylonians, if that's even a way of talking. Uh, what they did worked. Their plan worked. And as they live in exile, swimming upstream, going countercultural, God has equipped them to not just survive, but to thrive. And I think it's the same for us today. I think God gives us the tools that we need to not just survive life and not just survive the way the culture changes around us, but to be able to thrive and to make an impact on our culture. Daniel and his friends are going to face a lot of tests, but they make an impact on King Nebuchadnezzar. They make an impact on the Babylonian culture. And at the end of chapter 1, they come before the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, They're brought into his presence, and he upgrades them. He sees the value in them. He, He doesn't really know God yet, but he sees that something special is at work in them. So when I think about Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, setting this story, naturally what comes to mind is Tony Romo. Well, not really, but I do want to use a Tony Romo example to try to highlight what I'm seeing in chapter 1. 
which the Cowboys won last night, by the way, so that's exciting. But it's an exciting time to be a Cowboys fan. But two years ago, uh, you know, I'm a big Tony Romo fan. He's playing in the preseason. He's getting old. He's kind of brittle. So there's the argument that he shouldn't be playing in the preseason so he doesn't get hurt. He rolled out for a pass, and he got squashed by a big guy, and then you could tell he was hurt and hurt pretty bad. Turns out he had a compression fracture in his spine, and he was going to be out for several months. So for a Cowboys fan in 2016, that looks like the season's over. It's going to be a horrible season. And this young rookie stepped in named Dak Prescott, and apparently he was pretty good. And the Cowboys had a great season that year. And towards the end of the season in November, somehow Romo healed up, and it was time for him to come back. But by this point, it was pretty obvious to everyone that he was no longer going to be the starting quarterback. So he broke his silence, he called a press conference in the Ford Center in Frisco, and he had this great speech that he gave, he was a you know, great team player, he was supportive of Dak, he was very humble, a great speech overall, but what I'm really drawn to about his speech was how he ended it. He said, I believe we all face two enemies in life, or there's two battles going on. One is with the man in front of you, so he's referring to football terms. So the other enemy, the other battle is the man inside of you. And if you can learn to control the one inside of you, the one in front of you doesn't really matter that much. And then he said, I think that's what we're all trying to do. And I thought, that's a great point. There's a lot that we will face, a lot of opposition we will face in our lives. But sometimes the biggest enemy is the one that's inside of us. And we kind of have to learn to deal with that person. Brennan Manning once called it the imposter inside of us. And when I look at Daniel and his friends in Daniel chapter 1, this word that's used in verse 8 is this word resolve. He resolved not to defile himself this way. And I would say, kind of in light of what Tony Romo is saying, he has this internal resolve. No matter what they faced outside of them as their captives in Babylon, because of their internal resolve, they were able to face anything. Now I want to use, uh, well, go back one there. I want to use, uh, it's kind of a last example here, another example of another Tony, Tony Griffiths. Uh, Tony took a class several years ago called Techniques of Substance Abuse Counseling. So they're learning how to counsel those who have addictions and things like that. And their teacher challenged them with this challenge you see here called, What You Gonna Quit? And the challenge was to take a week and to quit something that has an addictive quality to it. And as you do that, journal your experience, journal what you're feeling physically, mentally, emotionally. And the purpose of that for his class was to create empathy for those they will counsel, to see how hard it is to actually quit something. So Tony shared that with us several months ago, and as we, with our elders meetings and talking about our vision and what it means to cultivate a deeper love for God, we thought that may be a good challenge for our church. And then it just so happened to be, maybe this would be a good challenge at the start of a new year. So what we want to do is we want to take the concept that he had from his class and kind of put our own pine tree twist on it. And, we, and in light of Daniel chapter 1, is we want to offer a challenge for you for 10 days. Not starting today, but starting next Sunday. For the next week, to prayerfully consider 
maybe a habit, a sinful behavior, an addiction, something in your life that you could challenge yourself to go 10 days without. I don't know what that would be for you, but I imagine if you're being honest with yourself, there might be more than one thing that would come up. And this isn't for your spouse to nudge you and say, I know, I'm going to make a list of things that you can quit. This is for you to look within yourself and, and take this challenge on. We'll start it next Sunday, but just take the next week. Consider these 10 days and what that would look like. And the purpose of this is not legalistic. It's not to look like a Pharisee and have a legalistic approach to our faith. The purpose of this challenge is to open ourselves up to Christ. The purpose of this challenge is to push back against the forces that so easily enslave us. The purpose of this challenge is to stand firm, to put our foot down, to draw the line and say we're not going to let this culture be the primary thing that disciples us. So I want to challenge you with that and to prayerfully consider that over the next week. And then I just want you to think about Jesus. He was a disciplined man. And I admire that, and as a follower of Jesus, I want my life to reflect him. He practiced self-denial in the ultimate form when he was obedient to death, death on a cross. And because Jesus denied himself of retribution, of fighting back, he offered forgiveness even when he was on the cross. He went all the way through death, through the grave, and out the other side through resurrection, and he invites us into a life with him. So this morning, we offer this invitation, this challenge. You can come up front if you need anything. If you're ready to follow Jesus, you know, we can arrange that for you. We have a baptistry right here. If you need prayers, if you really are struggling with something, find one of our shepherds who will be around this room and pray with them. But take this opportunity to respond. Let's stand up and sing. Come ye sinners, sinners poor 